Hello, my name is Shireen Jordan and welcome to Tea and Tonic. This podcast is about giving my guests from all different creative industries the chance to tell us about how they got to where they are today. While we both sip a tea or perhaps something a bit stronger with a tonic. It's a chance for those affected by the impact of lockdown, the opportunity to chat, because talking is, as the saying goes, just the tonic. I hope you enjoy it with a beverage in hand. It's Saturday, August the 1st, 2020, and my guest today is musical theatre director and artistic director at the British Theatre Academy, Dean Johnson from Northern Ireland. Dean studied musical theatre for three years at the Guildford School of Acting, graduating in 2014. Since then, he's turned his attention to directing and was the associate director of Annie at the Arts Centre in 2015 and on 13 at the Ambassadors. He was nominated for a BroadwayWorld.com award for Best Director of a Musical in the West End in 2016 for Godspell, featuring Ramin Karimlu and Kerry Ellis. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dean Johnson. Hello, sir. Hello, Shireen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well. Yeah, it's not, It's quite sunny today, so it's nice to kind of be able to get out in, into the weather for a bit again, isn't it? Absolutely. Dean, I'm going to have to ask you, what drink have you got I've got a tea. Um, there's a reason, for, I mean, not just the fact that it's the morning, um, but very tragically, this is this is going to break everyone's hearts. Um, I I love uh, alcohol, um, not too much. Um, I but um, uh, I loved alcohol, but I actually developed an alcohol intolerance um, about three years ago, overnight and out of the blue. So I can't drink anymore. You're joking. <laughs> which is the worst thing. So I've been teetotal for like nearly three years now. And forced upon you. It's like prohibition. Yeah, it's like prohibition, but um, locally inside my own body. Um, so it's not ideal. And every now and again, I do try to have a, a, um, a gin and tonic or, or a whiskey, but um, it never ends particularly well. So I've had to stop drinking ad infinitum. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, I've got a licorice tea here. So um, clink, cheers. Clink. I've got an Assam tea. I love Assam. Oh, it's my favourite nice. tea. Without further ado, Dean, I'm going to start. You've done so many things since graduating. When did your love then for the arts and musical theatre begin? Mm, um, that's a good question. When I was a kid, I mean, I'm a, it must have been about six or seven, I had the world's worst attention span. And, and that's kind of existed through to through today I don't think anything's particularly changed in, in that sense um but uh I was I was the daydreamer of the class you know my head was kind of always always somewhere else and um in the, I think in the very beginning days of school I was a little bit useless you know in primary school um I wasn't able to keep up with things I wasn't able to learn things and we kind of had to do this creative story challenge um and we were given like a picture of a dog and a and a uh, a kid and we had to kind of write the dog and the boy played in the park today and I think that was kind of all that was expected and this was our homework and I wrote an entire essay of a story that had a huge amount of structure they went on this whole adventure and I think at that point my parents and teachers realized okay this boy needs a creative outlet um, he needs something that we're 
creativity can kind of be nourished a little bit. So that's then when I started to, um, I'd love doing voices and, you know, trying out, you know, different things. I was always kind of creating imaginary movies in my head and I loved make-believe games. So joining a, a theatre group uh, about age seven, which was the Beaver Players in Northern Ireland, um, was just a fantastic thing for me because it gave me that outlet. And then, in, incidentally, and, and this is something I'm very passionate about, my schoolwork improved and I then became from a kind of lost cause to a straight A student because I had that outlet that was able to allow me to kind of explore that outside of school. And then in school, it gave me the facility to actually learn the things that we were learning because my brain was was working in that way. Um and then I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with being on the stage. I loved performing. I loved, you know, seeing how audiences could react. Um, and then my first foray into directing, I was 12 years old. Wow. And I decided, and I don't know why, because I, you know, I, I know and, you know, teach many 12 year olds now. And I'm like, I, I don't know what makes a 12 year old think that they can do this, but I decided to produce and direct my own show. Um, I went to a theater, uh, which was the Beaver Players Theater. And I said, can I use the space for free? Um, They, for reason of either generosity or madness said yes. Um, And so I put a cast together of friends. I put a show together, it had a set, we had music, we had lighting. And I put a whole, we produced the whole thing at 12. And um, it was, without doubt, probably the worst thing ever to be shown on a theatre in Northern (laughs) Ireland's entire theatrical history. But I guess that doesn't really matter because you're 12 and you're learning and you're exploring. Absolutely. Where my love of directing came from. I'm sure it wasn't that bad. I'm sure you're being really hard on yourself. Um, (laughs) That's so interesting, though, that when you said once you discovered your creative outlet you started to perform at school as well, you know, academically. So clearly it was giving you a way of expressing yourself and almost kind of articulating yourself, but through another means that then had this direct impact on school too. Yeah, absolutely. I I think the the thing, going back to the attention span thing for me, uh, my brain works 10 times faster than I can cope with sometimes. It's just Mm -hmm. how my brain works. Um, And that has many advantages, which are wonderful, and also many challenges um, that come about as a result. And it was really lovely for me, uh, you know, as, as, as a kid to kind of learn to harness that. And I see that now a lot with my work with the British Theatre Academy, working with amazing young people who I think are discovering similar, similar things. And that's why I believe the arts are so important. And it's not just about, you know, oh, this kid wants to be a West End Wendy and they want to perform, you know, as as a professional performer when they're older. It's also about having that space to explore. And for me, that was invaluable because my schoolwork was not great. And by learning how to work with my brain, Mm -hmm. kind of running ahead of me sometimes in a creative sense, it then allowed me in school to actually just learn quicker and, and, and process things uh, in a new way that then improve, improved my kind of academia and not just academia, but also my ability to learn stuff about life mm-hmm. and life lessons and human lessons. And I've always been interested in that from when I was a kid. So that I think it's, I think it's deeply important. And, and hopefully I've been able to prove that as an example of someone who did that. Well, Dean, that sounds so fascinating. And I think 
that's probably why you're so good at working with young people now because you understand how they tick and we'll come on to that uh, in a little while you are obviously a triple threat because you went on to study musical theatre at drama school I mean you got into one of the top drama schools as a teenager what was that three years like it, it was amazing and um I count myself very fortunate um, that I was able to go so young because I went there when I was 18, which isn't always the case. You know, people don't always go straight into drama school at that age. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, I grew up in Northern Ireland. I'm originally from Belfast, although my accent is long since diluted. Um, and uh, because of where I grew up and because of um, you know things happening in Northern Ireland, you know, for obvious reasons at the time that mm-hmm. I was growing up, um, you know that there weren't always opportunities for everyone uh, in in Northern Ireland. I was very fortunate to have that at the time that I was growing up, there were companies who were really trying to help nourish young Northern Irish artists and talent. There was a, a Beaver Players I've already mentioned, and a, and a company called MT for Youth, um, which was brilliant. Which was bringing professionals from London over to Northern Ireland and working with those um, with those young people to give them that idea of a next step and if I didn't have that I certainly wouldn't be where I am today and it was through that period of my life that I learned the skills that then I was able to take into an audition for drama school that I think they recognized okay although this person is young we feel that they've already maybe got their head screwed on I guess in a way and um, more than just skills and talent I think it comes down to that I think it comes down to mindset Mm. and what I learned in those days from mindset was so important to me and then I went to the Guildford School of Acting and I loved my time there Um, I really you know really treasured my training as in within musical theatre I was definitely stronger at the acting and singing parts than I was at, at, at the dancing side, but I worked very hard and got myself up to a standard that I felt confident with and felt that I had um, really worked on. And I had some really amazing supportive teachers during that time. And, and not only the teachers that I was learning from, but also my peers around me. Um, and that's just as important to drama school is not just learning from the tutors, but learning from those who are around you and seeing what they're doing and supporting each other and creating a supportive environment where everyone feels that we're all growing together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was a really valuable lesson for me with everything in terms of then understanding not just what the skills are required, but then also for me then working as a director, I understand how actors work. I understand the mindset and not every director gets that opportunity. And so I'm very fortunate that I've worked so closely with performers at that stage of their training mm. that now when I'm working with actors and with performers, I know what makes them tick. I know what they need from a director, not just what I want, but what they want. And that teamwork is massively important to me. It sounds like you had a very mature outlook from quite a young age because you directed, didn't you, while you were at uni as well? You worked on some productions. I did, yeah. I was... Um kind of carrying carrying on from the uh, the terrible 12-year-old production. Um, I had carried on kind of being involved in the creative side of things. Um, and uh, while I was at drama school, while I was at Guildford School of Acting, I was still producing and directing projects in Northern Ireland, which was really, really great for me and was a really nice playground for me to explore my craft in that way. And I 
was also quite often while I was at drama school kind of known as the guy who liked to do those things. So um, I also, you know, I play piano and stuff as well, which, you know, I'm quite musical. So people would come to me to go through rep and then they'd go, can you also give me some tips? And I'm very grateful. And I'm going to say this now, because I guess I've never really had a chance to say this out loud, but I'm very grateful to all of my peers at drama school because I look back now and realize how much trust they put into me as well um, because we were doing, you know, third year shows and I was not only in those shows, but I was also assistant directing some of those shows, which doesn't happen very often. And I was very, very fortunate to be taken under the wing of an incredible director, um, Stephen Dexter, who I owe so, so much to. He's just an incredible, incredible human being, um, as well as a, a brilliant craftsman as a director. And um, he took me under his wing in those projects. And I was directing my peers in third year. And I look back, it would have been very easy for those guys to kind of go, well, why should we take direction from you you're one of us but there was never any of that my peers were always so supportive um and that allowed me to explore and learn at that stage you know which was an exceptionally important stage of their careers as well so I'm always grateful of that trust it sounds like you really maximized your three years at uni what then was the plan when you graduated because you only graduated what 2014 did you think right a career in directing that's for me that's what I'm going to do um initially my thought was and this was from the from the advice of another director who I worked with at drama school who was very helpful um Ed Curtis who um is a writer and director and and again a, a great craftsman and he he knew that I didn't really know what I wanted to do I kind of like I had all of these skills I was able to do audiovisual stuff I was able to direct stuff I was able to musically direct stuff you know I I could you know put I could write things I could act I I had multiple skills but I didn't really know which one I wanted to kind of go down and Ed said to me in a feedback session he said I feel like you will be ultimately more comfortable on the creative side of the table but just keep doing stuff until you feel start to feel like you're fitting into one world. Like don't feel you have to choose right now. And so I very much left drama school with, with that mindset. I said, let's explore everything and just see where I feel more comfortable. Um, and uh, this is, I guess we're going to come back to what we were saying earlier. Um, I had a br- I worked with a brilliant agency as a performer who were really great, really supportive. Um, and, you know, I went up for my first job and I did my first job and it was kind of touring around England and I loved the, rehearsal aspect of it I love the performing aspect of it the thing that happened to me was we got like three weeks into the run and bear in mind for most young performers you're used to only performing for about a week or two weeks max mm-hmm. um, and so my entire life of performing had been a couple of weeks of a run never a massively long run of six months to a year so once I started to get a couple of months into that job I just wanted to move on to the next thing. And that goes back to the attention span thing, I guess, as a child. What I realized I loved is the creation. I love building the world, setting it up and going, okay, now that exists. And I love tweaking with that world. But there came a point for me as a performer where I knew that I was never going to be the person who could do a West End show and perform a 12-month contract there are people who can do that and I have so much respect for them and I think it's amazing but that just wasn't me I would never be able to mentally last doing the same show over and over again night after night for a year or maybe longer because 
I realize it's the process that I love and it's the process where I'm also more useful. So very quickly out of drama school, having done my first performing job, I realized actually, no, this isn't for me long-term and I want to explore the the directing and creative side more. And that's when I, I, I kind of, I was also doing some jobs at the same time w- with that, but I knew I wanted to kind of really put my head into that path at that stage. So Ed was right. So thank you, Ed. <laughs> so what happened next then, Dean? Did you think I need to get an agent for directing? I'm going to do the audition circuit for directing. I'm going to network. Because you went on, didn't you, to direct Annie and 13, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, I was associate director in, on those shows. So yeah, yeah um, there's an interesting thing about being uh, a creative in terms of an agent, and it works very different different from performers because quite often for creatives, it's not that an agent necessarily gets to work. Um, it's that an agent kind of helps just make sure that your intellectual property and stuff in that work is is protected in the best way that it can be. So I've actually been self self repped for for a very long time, um, and um, as we speak at the moment, I'm kind of speaking to. Uh, an amazing agent an amazing established agent about maybe you know having having that network and having that support to support me going forward but that's what an agent for a creative mostly is it's therefore more about the networking side of things so uh very early on in my career I carried on working with Stephen Dexter who again took me under his wing and I did some associate work with him um either officially or non-officially sometimes it was just you know we have no budget for an assistant, but can you come into the room and watch? And that was wonderful for me to continue to learn and learn my craft. Um, at the same time, that's how I became introduced to the British Theatre Academy and started to learn my craft that way um, through um, through working with Matthew Chandler, um, who founded the British Theatre Academy, who's amazing, um, and all of the creatives who have cut their teeth uh, similarly with the with the British Theatre Academy, and that's how I got you know some of those associate jobs, you know associate on Annie and an associate on Thirteen with um, the amazing uh, Ewan Jones, who's who's also fantastic. So it was amazing for me to kind of learn off other creatives, and if any other you know directors or creatives out there are listening to this, I fully recommend you know finding people who you respect, who you can learn from, um, and uh, can it's not about them teaching you, but it's just about you having an ability to be in the room and to mm. watch and to mm. learn. And And I love now that I'm able to kind of pass that torch on now because now I bring assistance in and I always try and have assistance on shows no matter what, for any other reason that I know it will help them to learn. It'll help bring another kind of breed of creatives. But you're feeding the chain, aren't you, as well, so that the next generation will have the skills that you learned and that you had along the way. I think that is so important, especially nowadays uh, with everything on pause. That does really worry me. What was that like then being associate director on Annie in 13? Were you in your element? Yeah, absolutely. And as I say, more than anything else, you know, it was, you know, it was lovely working on, um, it was lovely working on productions in the West End and lovely working on uh, productions that were running in West End theatres and, but more important than the kudos of that. And look, the, you know, kudos of things, of course, looks wonderful in the CV and, you know, it's, it's lovely, you know, when you're an old man, you can go, oh, I did this and did that or whatever. Um, But more important is the learning opportunity um for me it was that opportunity to learn and so i think it's good to stay grounded and not kind of get too much into like 
wow, this show is going to be and kind of look, I was involved in this and it was here. It's more, okay, I just want to learn. I'm just here to kind of find my feet and learn from other, learn from lots of other directors and lots of other creatives and having that opportunity is awesome. So you kind of ticked those boxes and you're learning your craft as you go along. How did working on Godspell come about? Because I'm guessing that was a big turning point for you. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. I mean, that was really scary. In the interim of all of this time, I had been working on some small projects, some things that were self-produced, some things that were new shows, some things that were. um, And then again, through the British Theatre Academy, the, the production of Godspell came about, which was amazing and absolutely frightening because for me and I've, I, I don't think I've ever said this out loud so I've got to say it now um you know I'm I'm still quite young I'm 27 I think at the time uh I was maybe 23 24 so in terms of like directing I'm a baby like a literal like little baby um at that point um and I was had the joy of being able to work with artists like Ramin and Kerry and Priya Kalidis and, and Dominic Anderson, who were all amazing, by the way. And um, you do go through that worry in your head that they're going to come into the room and go, who is this child? I'm not going to work with this child, right? Um, and they didn't. They were so brilliant, so professional and so open. And we threw lots of ideas. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, but it was also wild because I remember... Um, when I was, uh, Twitter, I think, opened in like 2007. And so around that time must have been when I when I got Twitter, somewhere between 2007, 2009. Um, and I got my first Twitter. And the two first people, this believe it or not, like, this is crazy. The two first people I followed on Twitter, Carrie Ellis and Ramin Karimloo. No. And yeah, isn't that crazy? And I, I couldn't believe it because all of a sudden, I'm now working with these people as one of my first high profile directing jobs, having 10 years prior been like, you know, essentially fangirling these people (laughs) as a teenager going, wow, you know, these are the people who I think are the pinnacle of musical theatre and who I think, you know, are, are the most incredible artists. So then to get a chance to work with those people and, and create what I felt was an amazing piece of work. So did you tell them? No, I didn't. I absolutely did not tell them that. I did not do I did I didn't want to be that guy who was like, by the way, my first person I ever followed on Twitter was you guys. Um because I you know, again, I wanted to kind of be as professional as I could be and and and, and make that work. Um but um uh and you know, my mum was a huge Romaine Caramelou fan. She absolutely loves loves Romaine. And so she of course embarrassed me, but that's you know, that's what mums are there for. And I guess for me, you know, again, you mentioned earlier the, the the award nomination that came as a result of that show. And again, that's lovely and it, and it's wonderful for the CV and all of that. But the important thing is the story we were able to tell, the people who we were able to tell the story with. And for me, on a personal level, the achievement of standing in front of people who I consider giants in, in the theatre world and being able to kind of hold my own ground mm-hmm. and that was actually easier maybe than I thought it was going to be because I was worried about what if they, you know, you get that imposter syndrome, don't you? But when those people are so lovely and so down to earth and so willing to work with you and listen, it just makes the world easy. And sometimes 
actors and artists can be given a bad rap for being divas or whatever, but most of the people who I've worked with and come across in my career have been nothing but awesome and lovely. And hopefully that's helped by my commitment to trying to be lovely and awesome to them in return. And then you just get a really comfortable space and a comfortable room. And that's then I think how you, you build those networks and build that reputation then, I guess, as, as a director. And then the work at the end of the day becomes better because if everyone feels healthy and happy and supported, um, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but you know, before Ramin went on, he was quite nervous in in in, in this show in, in Godspell. He was quite nervous before he went on, and he was kind of you know looking to me to pep talk him a little bit. And for me, again, feeling like this guy's done all of these incredible things, that's a scary or a kind of crazy thing to have to do, but you do it and you do it because it's the right thing because that's what that artist needs. And that is for me as much a part of being a director as anything else. It's about looking after and nurturing your company. Mm -hmm. It's not just about, Oh, I have this crazy idea that will work or I know exactly how I want the show to work. Of course, all of that stuff is maybe a part of it, but listening to your company and knowing what they need at the right time Mm -hmm. is actually just as if not more important because that helps the final result because the more happy and healthy they feel when they walk out on that stage in front of thousands of people, they, they are carrying the torch, not you. You're sat back at that point. So if they can carry that torch and feel confident with it, there's nothing better. And then you build trust, which is awesome. If you're very in tune with mentoring of your cast and looking after them and real kudos to you at such a young age for recognizing how important that is to getting the production as slick and on point as you as you want it to be I just got to say I'm with you mum I'm a massive fan of Ramin he came to Southampton to the Mayflower years ago and I went with my granny we just kind of fangirled him as well really he had the whole audience in the palm of his hand and the Mayflower's 2300 seater he could have done anything i mean he could have sung a nursery rhyme and we all would have loved it (laughs) um so you did a brilliant job with godspell i have to ask you do you remember opening night and how you felt before curtain up yeah i do oh it's absolutely frightening you know again it's your it's the first job that had that much of a profile for me do you mean um and I learned something very valuable from that, um, that moment. And because on the day I was really nervous because I was going, oh, this is such a high profile thing. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, important people there and they're going to see it and there's going to be, you know, audiences and there's going to be a big audience and, you know, all of this stuff is happening. And, and, And I got a little bit kind of worked up that morning about it and kind of going, okay, what, you know, how do I process this? And the thought that came into my mind, and I've used this ever since as my mantra in terms of that feeling, is actually it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if you're playing to an audience of four people or if you're playing to an audience of 40,000 people. It really doesn't matter if you're playing in a West End theatre or you're performing around a campfire. Theatre is theatre, and actually it's not defined by the amount of people or how important those people are or how famous those people are. It's defined just by 
the collection of those people. And with this whole coronavirus thing and the, in everything that that's had an impact on with theatre, I think that's become more apparent to more people than ever because there's a lot of talk about buildings and institutions. And to me, theatre isn't buildings and institutions. It's people. And it's the people who work to create the theatre, but also the people who turn up to watch that theatre to receive that story and the cathartic experience that that can give them or the learning experience that that can give them. And I think on that morning, that thought kind of arriving in my head, honestly, was the most bloody helpful thing that could have happened because it just made me calm because I thought I've done shows. I've, and it, it doesn't, it was no harder to create than that show that I created when I was 12. So it needn't feel like any more pressure in fact, in a lot of ways, it's less pressure because it was my, you know, it wasn't the very first thing I'd ever done. I have experience behind me. I've learned things. So I have to trust in my own craft. And then I have to trust, going back to what we were just saying, in my cast, in my company, who I've spent the last four weeks with. And I know are amazing. And I've always known we're amazing right from the moment they walked into the audition room and we all worked together and the things that we put together in the rehearsal room and in that space, I give them my entire trust so actually there's nothing to feel nervous about because they're going to ace it. And look, if the critics love it or the critics don't, that's, you know, of course a thing, but it's more important. Is there someone in that audience who it's going to make a difference to? Mm -hmm. And I know because I received emails of people who watched that production of Godspell who said that in some way it changed their life. And that's incredible to me that something that we did as a team change someone's life and even if it's only one person no award nomination can top that for me that's the special bit so yeah I think yes I was kicking myself but at the same time it, that day was the day that I learned I think how not to <laughs> oh that's so insightful and um I know how passionately Dean you feel about community and nurturing the new upcoming dare I say talent or next generation you're a real passionate advocate of new work aren't you tell me about Tony McCauley's memoir Paperboy about the troubles that you had this flickering idea for a musical for and managed to bring that to fruition in Belfast absolutely um it's really interesting because I read Tony McCauley's memoir Paperboy when I was in college and it was such a brilliant story for so many reasons. Number one, I really connected to it, not just as someone who was Northern Irish, obviously, but also someone who grew up in an area where sectarianism was common um, and the community that I grew up with that existed. And I never could sign up to that and never agreed with it and never kind of I could never really understand and I guess I was fortunate in that my best friend when I was a kid happened to be from the only Catholic family in the whole area and I grew up in a, in a Protestant community and therefore I never really understood those black and white views and so I really connected with the story but there was one moment in particular at the end of the book and this is all true um it was memoir so of course it is um but tony talked about standing at the top of this kind of mountain i say mountain it's as big a mountain as you'll get in northern ireland which in england is a hill um, <laughs> um but um he was stood he was stood, he was stood on, on the kind of side of this mountain and he knew his mum was going to be part of this peace march 
um, the, where the women on, if you know Northern Ireland and if you know Belfast, in particular in West Belfast, there's two roads that run parallel to each other. One is the Shankill Road and one is the Falls Road. And it was seen for many years as a conflict area. And there are still to this day a peace wall um, or some people might refer to it now as a division wall that, you know, separates these two areas um, that was put up to try and to spell tension, but maybe nowadays creates more because it creates divisions and we're building walls and um, all of that Donald Trump stuff. Um, and the women from the falls came across to the Shankle and they marched up the Shankle together. The women from the, the, the Catholic community and the Protestant community marched together and they, and they went to a park and they sang together and they sang abide with me the hymn and they and they they stood there and they held signs and they held doves and they shared you know at this moment you know this is in the 70s this is 1975 this is the height of conflict in northern ireland and these women stood together to stand for peace and he heard them from the mountain that's how loud they were singing he could hear them and see the crowd of thousands of people in this park and that to me was just pure musical theater. It just like, wow, real life musical theater, people singing to try and make a difference in the world. And the moment I read it, I went, this has to be a musical. And I think I was like 20 or something. And I emailed Tony McCauley and said, can we meet up? I'd love to talk about this book. And he said, yes, please. And we met in a co coffee shop in Belfast. And I said, I would love to turn this into a musical. Here's my ideas. And he said, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Um, and it was a long time in the making. It was maybe you know five years in the making. And we, we then managed to make it happen. And Tony is just the most inspiring human and was involved at every stage. And the writing team was amazing um, of Andrew and Duke Special. And I, I was working with Stephen uh, on, on the production. Stephen Dexter, who I mentioned earlier, we were working together on it as well to create this new musical, which was hilarious, a huge amount of fun, but had these moments reminding because we played it in the lyric in in northern ireland which is you know the, the kind of main producing house we were able to show the people of northern ireland not only nostalgia but also look how far we've come and look where it started and again if you don't mind me rambling on this but there was just this beautiful moment where at the end of one of the shows uh there was a woman an older woman and she the rest of the audience left and she stayed and she was in floods of tears. And I was like, oh, I hope, she, I hope she's okay. And like, bear in mind, the end of the show was quite fun, right? The very, very end. Like it's, it's the kind of sing and dance along and, you know, songs of the Bay City Rollers for you to enjoy along with. Um, and uh, her son was kind of like trying to lift her up. And I went over and said, you know, is every, everything okay? I also like to check in on the audience as well. I kind of care about them and making sure that we've not traumatized anyone. Um, and she said, no, I'm absolutely fine. She says, I was one of those women and I was at that march and we marched every Sunday for years trying to achieve peace. And I thought that everyone had forgotten what we did. And so seeing it on a stage and uh, it wasn't her son, actually, sorry, it was her grandson. And she was like, for my grandson to be able to watch what I did was just the most incredible experience. And let me tell you, I cried for the rest of the night because that was just the most wonderful oh. thing. But again, how wonderful that musical theater has that power mm. to share real stories that happened. And that 
woman had maybe, I don't know, but maybe she had never told her grandson. Maybe she was too humble to ever say, by the way, I was a big part of the peace movement in Northern Ireland. But for her grandson to be able to watch that be represented and for her to know that one of those characters on that stage is her is incredible. It was just beautiful. Well, this production was with the Youth Music Theatre, wasn't it? And it had mm-hmm. rave yeah. reviews, which mm-hmm. then meant it was revived in 2018 and 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I know I keep saying this, that reviews are wonderful and reviews are great. And we were obviously really glad that it was you know critically reviewed uh, very well. But more important, the reason that it was brought back was because the people who were coming to see it were hungry for it again. Um, the audiences, they, they, they were the ones who were hungry for it and wanted to come back because um, we did it the first year and we knew there was more we could do with it because we, there were tweaks we wanted to make. And when you're developing a new show, there comes a point where you kind of have to lock, lock in and go, OK, no more changes because we don't have time because we've got to build a set at some point and, you know, we, we, we run out of room to make any more props and store them. But that gave us a year as well to redevelop the show and think about the show again and, and find new ways to f- make certain beats of the story land. And so then when we revived it, it was not only it not only carried the same charm as the production from the previous year, but we were actually able to advance it a step further as well, which then had even more of a great impact. And And I hope there's more we can do with it, um, with Paperboy, because I feel like um, it's a story that would resonate across the world. Um, we know it resonates in Belfast. We know that the audience there loved it, but I, I believe that there are other audiences who could see this and learn from it and also learn a little bit about Northern Irish history and, and understand what it was like. And that it, the great thing about Paperboy is it's not, and this is a, a key thing to say, it, it's not a story about the troubles. It's a story about a young boy coming of age and growing up and all of the things that come with that, your first crush, you know, your first job, your bike round. He's called Paperboy because he's delivering the papers, right? Um, you know, being jealous of that really handsome boy who, you know, the, the girl you've got a crush on fancies, Um, you know, being at school and making friends and losing friends and, you know, all of the things that come with being a kid, that's what Paperboy is about. It just happens to be set against the backdrop of the troubles. So do you think it's got legs to move to head to the West End? Hopefully. I think I think one of the reviews said that it should be. So let's see where it goes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Here's hoping. Um, so, Dean, we've been in lockdown now. Well, we were in lockdown in March. You had two shows, didn't you, that were due to be on this summer that have been put on pause indefinitely? Mm, yeah, it's, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be alone in that at all. I think everyone's been... In the same situation where there's projects you're really excited to do. Um, I was really excited we were going to be doing a little night music at the Minac Theatre, which is a beautiful open-air theatre in Cornwall. And if anyone listening to this has never been there, I thoroughly recommend it. It's just gorgeous. You know, what better backdrop to theatre do you have than the Atlantic Ocean, for God's sake, Joe? It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, so... Yeah, it's that I was going to be doing that, and then I was going to be doing a, a, a project and working with the British Theatre Academy for a whole season in in Southwark Playhouse, which is a theatre I I know and love dearly, and they're actually moving venue next year. Um, so I'm re- I'm really excited for their new chapter. 
in the first instance, Serena, I, I was very down about it. And I think, again, I'm not alone in that. But I think over recent weeks and months, I've maybe started to realize that actually maybe this is not a moment for just sadness. There's, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of people losing work and, and jobs and and I'm deeply sad about all of those things. But actually, there's maybe also a moment for positivity because I think sometimes there are new chapters in a book and you never want that your favorite chapter to end until you move on to the new chapter the story can progress Mm -hmm. and I think the story of theatre maybe reached a point in the last couple of years and now this moment and the time it's giving us all to reflect and pause is maybe not completely a terrible thing there are many bad things that have come with it but actually having that moment to go let's pause reflect and think ahead how can we do stuff differently how can we make work in a new way how can we make sure that theater is more inclusive how you know for everyone for talent performers but also the audiences how can we make sure that we advance our art forms further there's actually a moment of optimism i think in going into this new chapter. And my brain's very much shifted to that recently where I guess it sounds like I'm avoiding the question because I don't want to think about it too much about the projects I've lost. Mm. I now want to think about what can I do next? What can we all do next to inspire the next audience generation or the next talent generation or just to bring amazing new work to the stage that's going to have that wonderful experience for people. You're trying to be glass half full rather than glass half empty and what you can achieve and what you can do rather than what you can't. So have you been keeping yourself busy? Have you got lots that, although trying to be in the moment, that you're still looking at for 2021, you know, when theatre maybe can get back on its feet again properly? Yeah, the last couple of weeks have maybe been the busiest I've ever been um, because... It's now very much, as I say, because I'm wanting to look at how how can I be optimistic and how can I contribute to this next chapter even more than I did the previous chapter. Um, it's been very, very busy. And, you know, I've been speaking with lots of people, planning lots of things, you know, thinking about productions for the future, all sorts of exciting things that we can, we can create. And also, you know, with my job as artistic director of the British Theatre Academy, it did my soul a lot of good for the first 16 weeks of lockdown. We provided online training completely free of charge for those entire 16 weeks. So no kids had to pay a penny because we knew that there were going to be people who were going to be out of work, people who were going to be struggling. And when theater and the chance to explore theater is escapism for young people. And I remember how important it was to me. The last thing I want is someone missing out on that. You do not want someone to miss out on that. And that's why we did that. We made that decision and and it was so good for the soul to be able to, to offer that. And I'm also thinking very much about them and how we can include them even more in the next chapter because they are the future and they are, you know, they're going to be, a huge part of this next chapter so what a wonderful time to teach them the things or help or not even teach them because I, I hate the word teach because it implies I know something and I'm going to tell you I think help them learn their how to nurture their own ideas so that they can step forward and and 
become that next generation of new ideas mm. and how wonderful that is, mm. you know? So, um, yeah, very, very exciting for the future, actually, um, on a personal level. But I think in the bigger picture, lots of exciting things happening within the theatre community um, and the entertainment community, despite all of the challenges. So I've been very busy to kind of help create all of that happen. So that's been great. Well done you. Well done you facilitating all of this because the theatre industry, it needs help at the moment. So as soon as we can get it all back up and running again for everybody's happiness and well-being, the better. Dean, how do you relax? Um, <laughs> that's a very good question. Um, I relax through uh, a couple of things. I, I I need, and this goes back to what I was I guess saying before, I am the type of person I need to kind of have structured relaxing time. Um, I need to very much structure that. I need to kind of go, okay, this is the point where I'm going to relax. And um, that is, for me, that's a mixture of, um, I have a beautiful fiance, who is the most incredible and supportive human being. Um, She stands with me hand in hand every step and every decision we make together, um, that uh, she becomes my relaxing presence quite a lot of the time. Um, I have a cat who um, is... uh, insane as most cats are and I'm I'm sure everyone you know everyone in the world who has a cat will say you know my cat is the weirdest um but I'm convinced mine is um but he is a brilliant calming presence um for for me as well um because of his personality Uh, and then just having me time when I look at my to-do list, sometimes it's overwhelming. I'll wake up on a day and look at my to-do list and I have so much to do but I realize I achieve nothing by just trying to bash all of that out in one go. And sometimes it's just going, do you know what? I need an hour to, I I enjoy meditating. Um, You know, um, sometimes I enjoy yoga. Uh, I do yoga sometimes to just relax. Um, Or sometimes it can be, you know, turning a PlayStation on and just playing a game for half an hour, whatever, whatever your hobby. And one of the things I will always say for all creatives and performers is, I grew up and most people who are within the theatre community who do it as their career will understand this feeling. You grew up and it's your hobby and then it becomes your career and that has very different implications. My, the best thing I ever did was pick up new hobbies. You know, I pick up, you know, photography. Now I use those photography skills in work for sure. Um, and more and more nowadays, but just sometimes going out and just taking some pictures or just going for a walk in a park and finding random hobbies that are nothing to do with your work sometimes are really nice. And whatever that is for me and whatever that is for other people, I think that's, I guess, important. And I I love just having that little hour me time every day. And sometimes that's just a cup of tea and that's all we have to do. Sounds (laughs) like heaven. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way there, (laughs) cup of tea. And just lastly, Dean, who would you say has been the biggest influence on you? I I don't think I could answer that question in with one name because I don't think I think everyone is a huge product of lots of people. The, but there are key people throughout my life who who have had a massive influence on me. My mum and my dad um very much so. Um, my, uh, 
my all of my family uh, my my grandfather in particular used to look after me every day after school and I learned a lot from him as a person in terms of picking up knowledge and picking up uh, some of the ideals that I hold today um my fiance, who, as I said, I learned so much from every day and couldn't do anything without now. Um, um, but in terms of as a, you know, as a director and in terms of my career, um, Richard Mills, who run the Beaver Players, who gave me those first opportunities and was the guy who was crazy enough to say, yes, you, a 12 year old, can have free use of this theatre for a weekend, um, you know, putting his entire reputation at risk as a result, but gave me that trust. Um, Vernon Mound, who um, sadly passed away a number of years ago, who was an incredible director with MT for Youth, who I learned a lot from. Ian Ricketts, who was a tutor at uh, the Guildford School of Acting, who was, he must be well past 80 now, um, but can do the most incredible human feats of strength you've ever seen. And it's just the most calm individual that is just wonderful. Um, Stephen Dexter, who uh, has... Um, who took me on under under his wing, Matthew Chandler, who I worked with at the British Theatre Academy, all of these people who have helped me, that is the product of who I am today. And the one thing I will mention with saying that is, because it's something that's very important to me, I've obviously just listed off a, a name, a list of men. And I would like to say openly that that just happens to be, that's because my journey. Um, I'm also inspired consistently and constantly by incredible women who are amazing and uh, women who I work with. And I try as much as I can to champion female creatives because I guess a part of the reason that that list I've just given you are men is because in the past directors have mostly been men mm -hmm. and uh, those men are incredible inspiring that I've just listed but I want there to be more women on that list and so there are I would like to give a special shout out as well to particularly what I've tried to do in the past years is have a lot of female assistants so that there's always a female voice in the room mm -hmm. who can contribute to my work so that I'm not that guy who's pretending to understand the female experience totally. And I want to give a shout out to every single one of them as well, because although I guess in some ways I'm hoping to inspire them, they have inspired me as well. And I, and I want to mention that. That was Dean Johnson, Musical Theatre Director and Artistic Director at the British Theatre Academy. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes from your preferred podcast provider and follow me on Twitter at Shireen Jordan and on Instagram at Shireen R. Jordan.